while premiums haven't taken off yet, they've certainly stabilized and yet stabilized at rock bottom, the lowest I've seen them in four years. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics on a Tuesday morning, as once again, it is time for this week's physical silver update with Andy Schechtman of Miles Franklin, where we check in on premiums and any other news affecting the silver market. So, Andy, it's good to have you on in here as always. And happy birthday for anyone who missed it. Yesterday was big man's birthday and I hope you're doing well. And how's everything going? It's going good, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, man, 53 years. It blows me away how fast time flies, uh, how fast it just continues to accelerate, you know, and uh, when you were young, time just crawled and now it just, it's been a blur for the past four years and uh, I don't know where all the time has gone, but I appreciate the birthday wishes and um, thanks for having me. Good to be back again, buddy. Yeah, well, 53 years and then uh, about, I think it's 33 of them that you have been doing gold and silver. And curious, any thoughts as you look back on those 33 years? Uh, we had 4 or $5 silver back in the late 90s when you first began this and today sitting at over $23 an ounce. Any quick reflections on uh, years as a silver dealer? Yeah, you know, I, I learned very few absolutes in all of those years. Very few things that I would say are, are guaranteed or absolute. The one thing that I would say I learned over all of these years that I would say is an absolute is that bull markets go higher than anyone ever thinks possible and bear markets fall further than anyone ever thinks possible. And when I started in this industry, you're right. Silver was maybe even under three bucks an ounce or right in that neighborhood. And gold was, you know, sub 300. Um, and the Dow Jones was 2,100 when I started. The uh, Nikkei was almost 40,000. Uh, Japan owned Rockefeller Center and, and casinos in Vegas. And uh, they owned, uh, uh, you know, ski resorts in Colorado and what not, they were taking over the world. They made things with an engine or a motherboard better than anyone in the world. And here we are, after all of these years, the Dow Jones went from under, from 2,100 to you know over 35,000. And uh, the Nikkei went from nearly 40,000 and fell all the way down, lost over 75% of its value. It's crawled back up a bit, but still hasn't reached where it was at when I started this business and you know if you would have asked people back then they would have said japan is taking over the world the first conference i went to there was a man laughed off the stage for saying the dow jones would go to ten thousand. and yet when we look at the performance of gold and silver the one thing that it has lacked is this instant gratification quality that so many people seem to think is so um, important or actually maybe just the way things are nowadays where in a very short span of time your uh, crypto portfolio can go up 10x your your equity portfolio can double or triple as can your real estate holdings so this is not the way that it's ever worked in my experience this is a, a phenomenon that it, a phenomena that is part and parcel uh, due to uh, a massive increase in the money supply and suppression of interest rates over the last several years. And, and the, the fallout from that is, is this, this new um, expectation that this is indeed how markets work. But when we look at 
at the performance of gold and silver over those 33 years. Certainly, it's been the tortoise, not the hare. But when you look at how they have performed, they've done exceedingly well and they have maintained uh, purchasing power, no question about it. Um, and, you know, when you see silver at, at three bucks and, and at one point it was 50, now we've uh, obviously crawled all the way back to half of that, but even still it's up eightfold from when I started this business. And when you look at gold at 250, 260 to where it is right now, up eight or nine times, it is not about this massive quick um, gain in, in value. It's about this slow uh, and, and methodical um, maintaining of your, your purchasing power. Certainly, in an environment where the West has tried to suppress interest rates to maintain an illusion of prosperity, stepping on the canary in the mine shaft, that being gold and silver, was certainly a necessity. But you can only suppress a market for an extended period of time by pushing it in the direction that it is going. And that's why it was so easy for the West to hold back the price of gold and silver in the U.S. market heyday. The question is, are we leaving that environment. And I would argue we, we are leaving that environment. So, you know, gold and silver will have its moment in the sun. I just wonder if the environment that it comes along with is something that maybe we should be uh, careful about what we are, are wishing for. But um, yeah, you know, I, I look around, Chris, and, and I see things that are, are making me very nervous about this economy. Certainly we can talk about it. Um, but to me, gold and silver have never been more important. And I think the one thing that people need to focus on is less the appreciation and more about its, you know, it's, it's 5,000 year history of maintaining purchasing power over time. And while you may not see it or become frustrated by its lack of movement in relation to what would be the narrative or the environment. It seems counterintuitive, it seems frustrating, and it is, yet the most sophisticated, well-funded, well-informed traders on the globe are rushing into it, the central banks and the commercial banks and the sovereign wealth funds. And they're doing so in a preemptive fashion because I think they too see what's coming uh, as a result of the, the huge distortions that were created over the last several years, easy money and, and low interest rates. So. I know that's a lot more than you bargained for when you asked that question, but it's important to understand that I guess if I would encapsulate it in one, in one phrase, it would be that bull markets go higher than anyone thinks possible, just like the Dow Jones, and bear markets fall further than anyone ever thinks possible, just like the Nikkei and uh, gold and silver and, and the rest of the environment that we talk about week to week are no different. They're just uh, something that more than anything has become frustrating. And um, I understand that, I do, I've dealt with it for 30 years, but in the end, it always seems to cross the finish line, even if it was in the respect of the tortoise doing it way slower than we would have liked. It's there when you need it. And it has a weird way through all of these years I've been doing this of maintaining its purchasing power, maybe even accentuating it a bit. So uh, have strong fingertips, hang on tight, everyone, and, and trust your gut. In the end, you'll be right. Ian, in terms of markets going further than you think, I continue to look back at this every once in a while. Here's the chart of the NASDAQ. You can see as I have it hovered over there in uh, October of 2008, you see the low at 1295. So a 10 bagger, even to today's price, 
obviously uh, got even higher than that. And like you said, not not typically normal that in a 10, 15 year period, you see that kind of movement in the stock market. Certainly, I think that speaks to the effects of 0% interest rate policy. And you see how things really got out of control in the uh, COVID years. I mean, here it is, uh, and it's 7,700 doubling in, wow, just uh, that's January of 2020. So year and a half, almost two years later, seeing a doubling. Uh, and I think that certainly was shocking to a lot of people. Uh, perhaps some of the impact that we might have expected in the silver world, which has not happened yet. I don't know if we were expecting a 10 bagger in 10 years, but either case, uh, another thing that you mentioned in terms of the conditions out there, we did have a downgrade Tuesday morning, S&P downgrading a bunch of the regional banks, mentioning sharp rise in interest rates weighing on funding and liquidity. Obviously, we saw that earlier this year and deposits held by the Fed will continue to decline as the Federal Reserve is quantitatively tightening. We'll see if they're done with their interest rate hikes, but obviously, uh, you know, the effects of when you try and undo that zero interest rate policy that will happen in the markets. And in the midst of that, Andy, I'm curious if you could give us an update on the premiums and what customers are doing in terms of physical silver. I know you mentioned that there's been an uptick in activity, but anything you could share there? Uh, yeah, as far as uh, the demand for silver and gold, it's picked back up in, in, a, in, a, in a strong fashion over the last few weeks. Uh, it was very slow for a period of time um, after the banks failed. So you had this, this lull between June and July and August, very quiet summer doldrums, they call it. But Indeed, as we see more talk about bank uh, downgrades, uh, U.S. credit downgrades, um, getting close to, of course, today being uh, the the, um, the beginning of the BRICS meeting in, in Johannesburg, there's a lot of newsworthy items that have uh, sparked people's interest again. And <clears throat> excuse me, while while premiums haven't taken off yet, they've certainly stabilized, and yet stabilized at rock bottom, the lowest I've seen them in four years. You couldn't ask for a better environment to accumulate gold and silver in terms of availability, price, and premium against the backdrop of a, of, of, of a world that seems to be going upside down. And, you know, I saw a comment um, on uh, a statement in an article that I read yesterday, and it was interesting. It was written, uh, the statement was, was spoken um, from Herbert Hoover in 1933, he said, we have gold because we cannot trust governments. And, you know, I think that that's part and parcel when you talk about what is, is um, uh, the rallying cry behind this new, um, this BRICS phenomenon. And whether or not we see fireworks coming out of the BRICS meeting this week, uh, I think it's very obvious that the de-dollarization and the move away from the dollar is rapidly happening, which will only, um, I think, shine a light upon gold and silver and its importance um, in, in a new system, a system that lacks trust. And that's what gold is. Even Herbert Hoover said it you know, almost 100 years ago that that's why we hold it. And you know, it, it's an asset that is no one's liability. There's no counterparty risk. And in this environment, I think all of these phrases risk and counterparty uh, counterparty risk um, uh, 
these things are becoming more and more and more important. So uh, I think you'll see premiums rise. I think you'll see demand rise. And when we talk about the banks, all it will take will be one bank failure with a bail-in. When the laws were written after the 2008 financial crisis, the Dodd-Frank law came out and said the banks need to be bailed in, not bailed out. And as you continue to see this environment, as you mentioned, as the article said, higher interest rates and, and demand withdrawals, I mean, the average, that article basically said the average savings rate across the, the whole regional bank landscape, over 4,000 of these banks, is less than a half a percent. Why would anyone stay in a too big to fail or in a bank that is not too big to fail? A systemically risky bank that Janet Yellen said most likely from now on will be bailed in as they should be, where you're getting a half a percent in a savings account or 4% in a one-year CD when you can go directly to the Fed at treasurydirect.gov and six-month CD, a six-month treasury and get almost 6%, or you can go to a money market in a too big to fail bank with daily liquidity and get over 5%. There's no reason to stay in these banks. And I think you will see that be a catalyst for all sorts of, of problems. And, you know, I start to wonder a little bit. I, I read an article by a guy that, that I think is really great. Um, and he, his name is Mike Savage. And he talked about what Thomas Jefferson said uh, 300 years ago. And he said, you know, if we allow the banks to control the money first by inflation and then by deflation, uh, they will own everything. And, and think about this for a minute. I mean, you could argue the inflation part has already been accomplished. And you have all of these people who have loaded up on assets, stocks and bonds and real estate at, at artificially low rates. And a lot of them use debt to finance these things. And, you know, what happens when things really start to slow down? And as rates continue to rise, you see the banks collapse as more and more people leave the banks in search of yield in a safer environment. And then you see an, an environment as rates rise where small businesses can't have access to capital, where they fail, where banks go under, where uh, uh, companies go under, people lose their job. And how do all of these people afford the maintenance of a, of a 4% mortgage? Uh, you know, uh, or a $500,000 mortgage at 4%, which sounds great, but not when you lose your job. And when you see this type of environment with rising rates, which will foster an implosion in the economy and, and defaults, the banks then own everything at pennies on the dollar. It's very eerie, eerily similar to what Jefferson said, first by inflation and then by deflation, the banks will own everything. But think about that. Inflation in incentivizes everyone to speculate and take on more debt. When I moved down here to Florida two years ago, uh, a million dollar mortgage you could have got for 3%, that same 3% mortgage, that same payment would only buy you a $400,000 mortgage today. So as rates continue to rise, as, as um, values finally start to come into equilibrium with the rising rates, you're at you're looking at a massive massive implosion in this economy and the question is is this what they want i mean are they looking to blow up the economy and own everything as people end up having to default in in greater and greater and greater numbers and i think that is what's coming next and this is a very scary environment where we're not buying gold and silver to get wealthy 
We're buying gold and silver because the, the current environment of higher interest rates and rising rates and the possibility of all of these things happening with the BRICS and Saudi Arabia, who was expected to be a full member here uh, today or tomorrow be announced by the BRICS, moving away from the Petro status. And, and the, the, you know, you look at India just did this massive deal uh, in, in buying um, oil and, and not paying in dollars. This is a deal where these things never happened before. And I think that when you talk about uh, moving away from the dollar, a country that continues to have massive deficits, 1.6 trillion this year, uh, tax receipts that are dwindling, and, and ultimately a debt burden uh, of almost $200 trillion, what's the government going to do? They're going to spend until the currency becomes worthless. This is a problem, and it's all starting to accelerate. And I think that that's why you own gold and silver. It is not to get wealthy. It is because it is wealth. And when you see the biggest money in the world, the most sophisticated money in the world, run to get it, um, none of these things matter. Premiums, uh, they don't matter. The price today, it doesn't matter. The handwriting is on the wall. You just have to be able to see through it, see through it and, and get through the, you know, the, the rhetoric and trust your gut like you always have. And um, I think in the end, this will make great sense to people uh, who have bought it for the right reasons. If you're buying it to get rich, get wealthy, you're gonna be frustrated as hell. If you're buying it because you see that ultimately things are gonna get very, very frightening before it's all said and done, I do believe that, whether it be with the banks, whether it be with the economy, whether it be with people hanging on to their property, whether it be with the accentuation of bricks, whatever angle you're looking at it, the probability of these things happening are accelerating. And this is why I think the biggest money in the world has been making an overt and methodical push to accumulate gold and silver using the Western suppression of price to run cover. And uh, you know, if, if you take a look at it from that angle, well, then you're not so disappointed by the counterintuitive action. You're not throwing up your hands and saying, what the hell, man? I mean, this was supposed to go up a long time ago. I'm so sick and tired of this, it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I get that, but at the same time, are you really paying attention to what's happening under the surface? And I guess you have to understand that really big moves like this, Chris, really once in a generation moves, these are not things that are gonna move quickly. They are things that are going to be very uh, blurred or opaque in terms of the way they progress and the way they play out. What you get from the media, whether it be on one side or the other, you can take with a grain of salt. Again, misdirection of information goes not just to the public, but if I were the BRICS, I wouldn't be telling the truth to the West. And if I were the West, I wouldn't be telling the truth to the public about what's happening in the BRICS. These are all things that are all playing together. And you know, if we're going to say one thing about the BRICS this meeting, to me, the biggest thing to take away from it uh, is the, the union of the Eurasian Economic Union and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in joining together with BRICS. Very methodically, these countries will form a, a massive, very strong alliance. And uh, when you see countries like India trading oil with Abu Dhabi for rupee instead of for dollars, it's just another piece of the puzzle. Little by little by little, our allies are moving away. When you see Macron do what he's doing, trying to be invited to the BRICS, buying oil uh, or liquid natural gas from the UAE in, in Yuan, 
when you see these things happening, you need to understand that this is all part of the same picture. And when you can buy metal right now at the lowest premiums that we've seen in four years uh, and the best availability, the interesting thing is, in my opinion, it should be 100% inverted from that reality. It should be impossible to get. Everyone should be buying it to, to own a piece of it in their, in their portfolio, especially the public who doesn't have an ounce to their name. But you see a bank bail-in, you see a bank failure and a bank bail-in. And if you're not paying attention, you now have Fitch and Moody's downgrade the banks. That's their way of saying, we told you so, because it's very obvious it's going to happen. When you have interest rates at 5 and 6% in entities like the, the U.S. Treasury market or the two big to fail banks who are investing in the overnight reverse repo market by, backed by the Fed, when you see rates that are that many times higher than what you can get in a, in a bank that is systemic and will fail and will be bailed in, um, you're out of your mind to leave it there. The handwriting is on the wall and you see one bank bailed in and people say, my God, they just lost everything um, above the $250,000 FDIC limit. Then I think very quickly we'll revert right back to where we were. And that is the problem with the way people look at this market. They're looking at it from a, a perspective of making big profits all of a sudden, instead of realizing that in my entire lifetime, in all of our entire lifetimes, unless you were born during the Great Depression, um, there's never been a greater reason to, um, to protect yourself against the ultimate uh, dollar collapse or the ultimate, the ultimate dollar uh, devaluation and interest rate spike, which again, when you have an environment for the last several years where interest rates were suppressed, creating all of these distortions, as rates are rising, just like in the mortgage market, you see what happens to property values when you can buy a, a house at 3% versus 7.5%. Now, you're talking two and a half times increase in the, in the cost of money. What happens if it goes up to 12% or 15%? It'll decimate the, the real estate market, but what does it do to the bond market? What does it do to the business market? People's ability to access cash, to build their, and to run their business. What does it do to the stock market? That's what people aren't thinking about. And I guess when we live in a world where, or a country where we have grown up under the, the premise of it's our birthright to live better than our family before us did, our parents and our grandparents, and the Fed will always come into our rescue, well, maybe you're less apt to take this seriously. But as far as I'm concerned, as a father, of three kids, I've never ever been more concerned ever about the future of this country. And uh, I think that's why I'm motivated because in my soul, in my heart, there are very few people who have the courage to do what you're doing, Chris, what I'm doing to get out there and to say to the world, hey, things aren't as they seem. Everything isn't great. And that's why we talk about gold and silver, not to get rich, but because it will be what it always has been, um, an island of safety in a world of insanity. And it seems to me it's only getting crazier by the day. Well, yeah, and, and obviously not ideal to see those bank downgrades. Um, not surprising at the same time either, though. So certainly something we'll keep an eye on. <clears throat> Andy, one other thing I uh, wanted to check back in on that we had talked about earlier this year. Uh, when Bill Holter was on, not this last time, but a few months ago, was the supply of junk silver, where you said it was becoming increasingly harder to find junk silver, obviously the quarters and dimes, 1964 or earlier. 
Uh, I was wondering if you could update us on how things are looking in the junk silver market. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not ridiculously plentiful. It's available. I mean, if someone said, I want 20 million bucks worth of junk silver, not a chance in hell you can find it. It's available, but what is available? Well, it's available in what was coming off, off the heels of the summer doldrums. And, you know, this market, it's, it's schizophrenic. Uh, when you had April, March and April, the bank failures, we were working 18 hours a day. We added 14,000 clients in 45 days, which is four years worth of client acquisition. And then all of a sudden, like that, it just shut off. The banks, the bank problems got papered over. Everything was okay. Let's go back out and enjoy summer after all. And it it was eerily quiet. I likened it to the eye of the hurricane. And um, so while it's available and the premiums have come down, I don't think it's plentiful by any, any stretch of the imagination. It is a good proxy for the demand of the market where, you know, when you couldn't even find it at all, uh, in the first quarter, that was indicative of people gobbling up whatever wasn't nailed down. And here we are again, where things have quieted down and um, it's available. Premiums are reasonable, but I wouldn't say it's plentiful by any stretch of the imagination. If you're looking to get some, uh, I will tell you, these are the lowest premiums and the best availability I've seen in, in four years. There have been several periods of time over the last four years where premiums approach that as Silver Eagles on junk silver, where you're paying, you know, well into the double digit premium, 10, 11, $12 over spot for, you know, pre-65 silver. And, you know, I thought that was uh, something I would never see. Indeed, we did. And uh, look, I think one thing that also is making it and ultimately will make it even more difficult to get pre-65 silver is the laws that have been passed by all of these states like Texas and Wyoming and Alaska and Idaho and Missouri and Oklahoma and Arkansas, all of these states that are allowing any legal tender coin past or present minted by a sovereign government. Some just say U.S., most say any sovereign government to be used as legal tender in these states for all debts, public and private, including paying your property taxes. And so uh, pre-65 silver, silver American eagles, all of the things that are U.S.-based, I think, will become harder and harder to get. And again, when I talk about this, the one thing that I'm thinking about, I'm looking five miles down the road, and that is what wakes up the public. And honestly, I think nothing will wake up the public more so than a bank bail-in. I talk to people, even, even people who are, are well-read and, and uh, maybe just reading the wrong things, and they still don't know what a bank bail-in is. They have no idea that that was written into law uh, in the Dodd-Frank Act. And again, the fact that Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank were bailed out, of course, supposedly not at the, uh, at the expense of the taxpayer, again, made it very difficult for people to understand this. That was and should have been the exception, certainly. And, um, you know, the fact that they were, I find it interesting. You know, few people talk about the fact when you talk about Silicon Bank, by the way, four, 14 accounts, 10 accounts, 10 accounts had $14 billion in them. They were checking accounts for three years. I ask yourself, where the hell was compliance, risk management? Where was the FDIC? I mean, how is it that 10 checking accounts in, in this, this bank can have $14 billion in it paying nothing, zero in interest and 250,000 FDIC protection. I mean, who's, who's managing this stuff? 
Why were they allowed to do that? And then, of course, they were bailed out. You know, there's a fine line between conspiracy and reality, and you can look and find a conspiracy and everything. But I will tell you, I do believe in my soul that we will see some bank failures coming up very soon. Again, Fitch and, and Moody's, we told you so. And when they happen, they'll be bailed in. Janet Yellen said that. She'll say, we told you so. The fact that that the money markets are allowed to invest still in the overnight reverse repo market, even though there was rumblings about them stopping that to, to quell the exodus out of the banks. The fact that the, the Fed uh, or the Treasury has interest rates higher than that, and you see massive money coming out of the commercial banks tells me that this is going to continue and put great strain on the banks. And there will be a bank bail-in. And when that happens, everything that we've talked about in terms of availability and low premiums being something that will change in the blink of an eye, it will. Because what that does is wakes up the mainstream into alternatives and, and try and be objective. Really, try and be objective. Where the hell do you go in that environment? As rates continue to go higher, it puts more and more strain on the economy and the banks. Where do you go? And uh, and that's why I say he or she who loses least in what comes next wins. So yeah, I uh, I think junk silver is a great proxy for the demand of the market. And uh, it's been slow in this market until recently. And uh, I would expect that the first hint of a bank problem you will see things like junk silver disappear, premiums go up, and the same thing could be said of American Eagles if, if past is prologue, if, if it continues to be the way that it was over the last several years. So great values abound right now and uh, great availability, I would argue, in an environment that is as fragile as paper mache. And, uh, you know, one event and everything goes back to where we were. And I, I don't think it's out of line to, to think that whatever these events are, are growing uh, of greater probability by the day. Okay. And we did have one viewer question come in uh, regarding junk silver. I was asking often junk quoted as 15 times face value or 20 times face value. And he was just wondering how that gets priced. Obviously you have changing price of silver and the premiums and Perhaps if you could just break down how that process goes so people can understand that better. Yeah, it's just just like anything. How do you get a premium on anything? It's it's less so with the junk silver. With most anything that's minted brand new, the premium my whole career was made mainly a focus of taking a, a blank piece of gold or silver, stamping it, putting it in tubes and boxes and shipping it out. The cost of production, cost of running the mint, that is where premium came from. Right now, that's still true, but really where premium to me is more a function of is supply and demand. And when you look at junk silver in an environment where people are very afraid of, of what's coming with the value of the dollar, junk silver gives you utility. It gives you the ability to trade and to barter with. And, you know, the reason they say there's no bull market like the metals bull market is because it speaks to people's concern rather than their, their desire to profit. And nowhere more clearly is that uh, portrayed in junk silver than in junk silver. And so people don't want to sell it. And if you want to find it in terms of having it to offer to the public, well, you have to raise premiums in order to pull it out of the system. So whether you're buying it at higher premiums or selling it at higher premiums, it is a function of supply and demand. And again, nowhere is that more clear than in junk silver because it hasn't been made for uh, 57 years at the earliest. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, 
if you see higher premiums in junk silver, it really is a reflection of the demand and maybe an indictment against the way that the industry or the people in investing in silver look at the stability and the future stability of the US dollar. So what does that say? It says that, that here again, people have very short memories and price and availability is attractive right now. But for the last four years, when people were concerned about the world we lived in, um, premiums and price were higher than I'd ever seen in my career. <clears throat> so this is something that is set by the market in terms of what it takes to pull it out and what it takes to, to properly value it, to sell it, and hope that you can re, you know, replenish your inventory somehow in the open market. Well, already, well, makes sense. And thanks for answering that. And perhaps in wrapping up, anything in the silver side that is on special this week for people who are interested in adding to their silver stack right now? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, Chris. I mean, everything is on sale from where it's been in the last four years. We still are running um, Buffalo Silver Rounds, I believe, at 250 over spot, delivered any quantity. Um, and look, it's interesting. Those are have traditionally been the cheapest way to accumulate silver. Uh, well, actually, junk silver used to be pre-65, but that hasn't been the way for a long time. In one ounce variety, they've been the cheapest. And for the last four years, they were the hardest thing for us to keep in stock, bar none. Uh, we do have them, uh, great availability in stock, ready for delivery, 250 over spot, any quantity, um, but everything's on sale. Whether you're talking Philharmonics, Maple Leafs, Eagles, Britannias, 10 ounce bars, 100 ounce bars, we have it all in stock, ready for immediate delivery. And honestly, I think uh, it's not it's not wrong for me to say it's all on sale, at least compared to where it's been since 2019. So that's what we officially have on sale but quite frankly anything you're buying right now you'll find it's the best price you will have paid in terms of premium um in over four years well appreciate that and if people have questions or are interested in placing order you can find out more at arcadia at miles franklin andy thanks for checking in as always this tuesday um interesting time in the world so we'll see how things play out and keep an eye on those bank downgrades obviously not ideal, uh, not ideal. A lot of the things that are happening out there, but hope people are well and staying safe out there. And we'll look forward to catching up with you again next week. Well, I think you're going to be down here next week. So I'm hoping you'll be sitting right here next to me next week. We can do this the proper way. And uh, I, I look very, very forward to catching up with you in person. It's long overdue. And um, to everyone out there, stay well and, uh, you know, buckle up. I think, I think this fall and you can pretty much you can pretty much put a, a pin in Labor Day. That's when things always start to change in this industry. I think it's going to be a very interesting fall. I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, 14 months as we head towards the election. There'll be lots to talk about. And I just appreciate the opportunity to do that with you and your listeners and, and hopefully in person next week. So I'm looking very forward to that. Well, thank you, as always, to Andy for joining us this week for the Physical Silver Market Report. Hope you found that one helpful. Getting an idea of the premiums and how things are going there, as well as some of the conditions that continue to lead many into gold and silver. So hopefully that update was helpful. And before we wrap up, would like to thank BlackRock Silver, who brought us today's show. Obviously, BlackRock has its flagship Tonopah West project. 
where they have their mating resource and are planning to update that later this year. But wanted to mention also that BlackRock does have its lithium deposit that they found on Tonopah North. And they partnered earlier this year with Tierlac Resources, who is funding the drilling and development of that project in exchange for an ownership interest. It was a bit unexpected for them to find lithium mineralization, although in the drilling they've done since then, they've gotten some good results back with many intervals exceeding 1,000 parts per million and showing higher assay values as compared to the original discovery drilling. So I will put the link to this press release to find out the latest from that project with BlackRock in the description field below. Again, this is in addition to their gold and silver mineralization at Tonopah West and Silver Cloud. So congratulations to BlackRock for the progress they've been making this year. And thanks to them for bringing us today's video. Hope you're doing well out there and I will see you again tomorrow.